Hi everyone, this is Gianluca, the producer of this audio version of Replacing Guilt. Firstly, some updates on the project. As I announced in the conclusion episode, I'm currently working on compiling the entire podcast into a single audiobook. In principle, that's just a matter of stitching all 42 mp3 files together, but there's actually a fair bit of extra work required too, like removing the intros and outros, marking the chapters, and doing a mastering pass to add some acoustic polish. I've had to prioritize some other projects recently, so this has been on the back burner. Fortunately, during that delay, the good folks who develop Audacity have released version 3.0, which should make this mammoth 10 gigabyte project a bit more efficient to edit. All that is to say, the audiobook is still in progress and should be released soon. I'll be uploading it to this feed, assuming the platforms allow such large files, and will try and make it as accessible as possible. To tie you all over until then, the rest of this installment is an excerpt from the Bit of a Tangent podcast, which I co-host with my good friend Jared. We discussed how and why I came to narrate Replacing Guilt, how to gain the most from listening to the series, and the types of people who will find it most helpful. The conversation was recorded in January of 2020, just as I had begun recording the first few posts of Replacing Guilt. I rediscovered the episode recently and realized it will likely be of interest to many listeners here. So I hope you enjoy. As we've already mentioned in a previous episode and a few people have uh, checked in to ask me about, I undertook the endeavor of creating an audio version of a book slash collection of writings that were very... Some blog posts. So blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the problem is there's so much variance in in, in what counts as a blog post that uh, the quality variance is, is so high that um, I don't know that that quite does it justice. Yeah, let's let's maybe say collection collection of essays is, is much more accurate. Mm. Um, but it was a piece um, of work that was really impactful to me and from what you've said to you as well. And I found that I wanted to share it with people, but there were uh, no audio versions. And I know a lot of um, our peers and friends and family really mainly consume things through audio these days, be it uh, audiobooks and podcasts. Yeah. And so I thought, well, if no one else has done it, uh, this would be a, a good thing for the world to have in it. And so I, I reached out to the author, Nate Sories, and uh, asked him if I could have his go-ahead to produce the Replacing Guilt series. And that has now just recently gone live onto all the major podcasting hosts. Uh, well, you, you self-hosted, but it, it's distributed on all the different platforms. Podcasting is very old school, which is maybe why, it, why it's actually pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and so this is, uh, this is a little primer intro from us telling you uh, what that's about and why you should probably listen to it. So seeing as how you're the one who introduced me to it and, and got me onto it in the, in the first place, um, what, uh, what were your takeaways and, and why do you think people should read Replacing Guilt or listen to the audio version? Well, I'm going to avoid the question at the start because I just wanted to point out that you're basically joining a sort of lineage of other people in this sort of informal rationalist community that undertake this kind of project. And I just thought it's worth flagging that and pointing it out because obviously a big part of what people who have this sort of worldview believe is, you know, if there is if there is some good, you should like undertake it, especially if it's low-hanging, easy to achieve good, right? Yeah. And so, for example, you are following the 
the trend of the many people who, for example, took Eliezer Yudkowsky's essays in Rationality from AI to Zombies and made that into a an audio version and released it as a series of podcasts. Yeah, There's the famed sequences, yeah. The sequences, right? There's also the people who put together the Worm series, the audiobook, mm. the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality series was also released as a series of podcasts and Metropolitan Man was recorded and released. Yep. And so I'm just doing that to point out, first of all, because if any of those have appealed to you in the past, replacing guilt is the sort of next logical step. And also if you are finding this and you've never heard of any of those, although I don't know how you would have listened to this podcast for this long and not at least have heard of the sequences, not because you should know, but because we are so insistent on mentioning them. Yeah. <laughs> but my hope is then that you will try a few of these out and maybe become one of those people who also reaches out to someone, makes a new connection and tries to add to the body of published audio work in the world, because it's relatively simple, as I think you'll attest, and it can make a big difference to anyone who has the kind of job or the kind of free time in their life where they really can only consume something by audio, right? They work with their hands yep. or they have to move about and that's awesome. So congratulations to you for doing it. And I hope people will check this out and think about it a bit. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I think, yeah, part of the reason why I even thought to uh, embark on the undertaking in the first place was because of those great examples that you mentioned of uh, other people in the sort of community saying, hey, this thing should really be more accessible and be sort of uh, medium independent. And so, yeah, it was really those examples that made me think, hey, well, this is this is something that's doable. And and by comparison, you know, I mean, uh, Worm is one of the longest things ever written in the English language. Harry <laughs> Potter and the Methods of Rationality is very, very substantial. It's, I mean, many war and pieces together. Um, the sequences as well are, are an ex extremely large tome. Um, and so if people are willing to undertake, you know, turning those into an audiobook, then uh, really... Uh, Replacing Guilt, which is composed of around 40 essays, is is much more manageable for, for any standards. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a great opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've definitely benefited from what other people have put out into the world as, you know, their their own voluntary labor to, to go and turn something into audiobook form. And so, um, yeah, I think like Methods of Rationality, for example, the second time I read that, I actually mostly listened to the audiobook version. Mm. Um, and uh, and yeah, and so the yeah the community of people who've put things like that together is is substantial, um, and definitely were inspiration for this undertaking. So yeah, thanks to those people for showing what can be done, and for uh, all the all the positive value that's come out of that. And this is this is my attempt to kind of pay it forward, right? Yeah, I realize that just enlisting all of those, I neglected to mention the one that I listen to most frequently, which is the audio version of the Slate Star Codex. Blog. yeah that's and exactly that's, yeah that's completely worth listening to so i would be remiss not to mention it anyway yeah. all right so back to the initial question so why why add this to your life why why do it and maybe we can even give a sort of not prescription but a suggestion of a nice way to consume it because the essays well let's tell people what it is right it's it's how many essays again it's around 40. Around I haven't, 40. Uh, right. haven't done an explicit count, actually, so but it's around yeah, there. It's about a month's worth of reading if you do one a day. Exactly. And mm. there's good reason to do one a day because they form a sort of meditation on good and bad reasons for doing anything in life. Mm. 
And I think what's so particular or so unique about the writing style and the content is the like, very concrete steps which explore like each part of the decision tree, if I can say that. You know, you, you never feel like or you feel like you're being presented with options and then walk down at least to the first order, the consequences of each and given reasons to think about each each option. And if you do this you know, for however many days, roughly 30, you could spend relatively little time, right? It could be an essay with five minutes of reading or, or listening. And I think most people will come away with a renewed sense of purpose and a healthier relationship with the parts of themselves that get them to act at all. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I think it does have quite a wide appeal, but for certain groups of people, it really will ring extra loud. So I think if you've ever been involved in effective altruism, you're very much the target audience for um, this piece of work. And if you're not not inside that group or you haven't been exposed to that group before, it, it will still be of high value to you. But for the people inside those kinds of groups, it's it's something that's really, really going to be hard to ignore and forget and not apply to your life. Um, so a bit of context there. So uh, Nate Sories, who wrote all these posts, um, and they're just on his uh, website, mindingourway.com, um, where he's written some other stuff over the years as well. He, for the last few years, is the director of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, MIRI, um, where Eliezer Yudkowsky works and does research, um, along with uh, a few other people that um, might be familiar to some of our listeners. But... So his whole approach from this is seeing these people thinking about existential risk, thinking about effective altruism, thinking about the future of humanity, and how they seem to constantly be motivating themselves with guilt, and how he thinks it's a really inefficient way to be motivating oneself and, and, and ineffective as well. And so the work sort of analyzes that, looks at why that is, and then looks at how you can reframe things that begin as guilt-based motivation into being motivated by other drives, other passions, other forms of inspiration, and how that can be much more productive and effective too. Yeah. Well, what I like is there's, there's a deep appreciation in the essays and a thorough analysis of what drives are available to us and almost useful ways of stepping into them, of first of all, realizing they exist, and then quite methodically finding their, their motivating force because mm. again it becomes so easy it, it's kind of it feels a bit like mental jujitsu in a way some of the moves yep. that stories makes because he takes a problem which feels completely binding right I mean, i'm thinking of you know, in the first few essays the problem of you know wanting to get a really good grade for a class that you really do not care for and and so the traditional thing is, well, you work really hard, but you cram for the test, but you really hate it, or you know you slack off and you feel terrible, and, and that's the kind of guilt-based reasoning. And the jujitsu move that he makes is sidestepping that entire axis of thinking and instead of viewing it in the role or viewing it from the position of trying to minimize the total effort expenditure yeah. to reach a certain goal, right? And over and over again in the series, Sori's makes this kind of frame shift of a problem in ways that I think many people will find fairly enlightening. And so what I wanted to actually say there is as much as I think people who have read or heard or thought about any of the effective altruism sort of philosophy will find it particularly interesting and useful 
and and especially those people are, are prone to the kind of guilt-based reasoning that Soris tries to to annihilate. Is that too strong a word? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe re, yeah, reframe. reframe. But but yeah, I think part of part of the book is realizing that as you as you do that, it, it's one of those things like I guess paying attention to something that arises in consciousness. As as soon as you do it, the thing seems to cease to exist. You know. Yeah, and, and so as much as it does appeal to those kind of people. My experience of trying to share the essays with people, I've shared it almost exclusively with people who are not particularly familiar with those ideas. I mean, a few obviously mm. were, and they seem to have derived as much use from it as anyone else. So if you're listening that's, to that's this- That's really great to hear. Yeah, I think it appeals to, it's, the appeal is broad and it's deceptively, well, not, there's no element of deception, but I think when people describe why you should listen I think there's over much focus on this strong tie into the guilt-based reasoning of people who are prone to thinking about effective altruism. And turns out just most people in most areas of their lives resonate with this fact that there are the set of things that they want to do that they are not doing. Yeah. And they're they are, are and they are then experiencing hugely negative effects from the way that they then contort themselves to make those ends come about or fail to do so. So yeah, I mean, there's some there's some great examples that come up in the first few episodes. But like you mentioned, getting getting a grade for a, a course that you don't really care about, um, and and there are other examples as well of uh, you know people are binging Netflix even though they know they should be doing something better with their time, right? Yes. Um, or or they end up going 30 minutes past their uh, planned time that they would stop playing Civilization Five on their computer and instead go to sleep, and they're like, oh. I've, guess I've overshot oh well and then they keep on playing until four in the morning um, and it's those kind of scenarios like if you're the kind of person which is I think a lot of people if not everybody who repeatedly finds yourself in those kind of scenarios where you're doing things that are pleasurable or easy um, but feel like you should be doing something better with your time and then you get guilty about it and you get upset with yourself about it then then this will definitely be something that could be of, of high value to you and like replacing guilt would it packs a lot of value into a very concise package and as we alluded to before digging into it maybe one max two posts per day and and really giving it space to to breathe um is is a really good way to consume it right like you, you start thinking about things like for instance i i started reading it at the start of a new academic period in my master's and reading half assing it with everything you've got which is a great title and is a perfect like idea to just take away with you um which, which talks about that idea of you've got sort of this quality line that's, that's been imposed, which is the grade scale of whatever system you use, right, at, at your school or university or whatever. Um, but that, that grade scale is not your preference curve, right? Um, that, that quality line is not your preference curve. And the whole post is really about that, is, is this idea of you get kind of try-hard people who, who have this natural ten tendency to see a um, quality line and want to just maximize it. So, you know, if, if there are grades, you must be able to get the highest possible grade. And there are maybe slacker type people who are like, nah, screw that. What's the point? Like, I'm just going to do the bare minimum that I need to do um, to just like pass the course. But there's this in-between view that um, Swaris brings, which is like you can satisfy both sides of yourself that resonate with those two kind of groups of people, right? Like you could have this preference curve that says, I want to get a B grade using as little effort as possible. Right. And that's where the title of half assing it with everything you've got comes from. Like you can view it as an optimization problem because killing yourself to get the highest grade in that in that class is not like 
the sole purpose of your life. Um, and, and everything is kind of just instrumental on the progress to our terminal goals. And like just that one post totally reframed how I approached anything that has a quality line to it. Anytime there is a grade assigned to something, anytime there's a rating, right? Like if, if that's not servicing your preferences and your preference curve, like just ignore it. Um, just just achieve your preference curve with the minimum wasted effort. And and like that is a fun optimization problem that the, the rebellious slacker side and the highly motivated try hard side of anyone can get behind, right? And like that was the, one of the first posts um, and it just builds from there and it's it's so great. And he he's able to use this almost pipeline of mental instruments to reframe the different kinds of guilt into more specific types over the course of the posts. And, and if you're working through this one day at a time, um, giving it enough space, giving it enough time to see how these things apply in life and to notice the patterns in yourself, then you really are able to sort of master how to use that pipeline and reframe guilt in all these ways and almost funnel it down into a, a lesser and lesser and lesser thing until it's at the point where it's not even guilt anymore. It's something mm. else entirely. And that's the beauty of, of the sequence. And that's also why I think giving it space to breathe like that. Like you could absolutely read it in one sitting, but you definitely shouldn't. Well, there we go. Hi, future John Looker here again. If you enjoyed that excerpt, you might like some of the other bit of a tangent episodes. Our most popular episodes so far come from two different series that we've done. The Mental Models series is episodes 18 through 20 and explores the most powerful heuristics and cognitive tools we've encountered and how we apply them to our lives. Then, the Predictive Processing series is episodes 28 through 30, where we do a deep dive into the predictive coding theory of cognition and what it tells us about the computational component of mental illness, how visual illusions fool us, and how we might learn to enhance our sensory sampling to improve our lives. Now, if you didn't enjoy that snippet, but you're still somehow listening to this, then follow Jared and myself on Twitter so you can hurl abuse at us in real time. Links to all of the above are in the episode description. I hope to be back soon with the final audiobook, but until then, I wish you all the very best.